Hello, welcome to Leaving Erinsborough, the Neighbours Rewatch podcast from the very beginning. I'm Sarah Gibbs. I'm an author, um, comedy writer and Neighbours enthusiast. And I'm Rachel Krieger. I'm a stand-up comedian. I'm also a writer and I'm currently an obsessive Jewish mother. I mean, I think I was kind of born to be one, but it's <laughs> even more prevalent than it has ever been before. Fantastic. That's what we love to hear. Today we have a very special guest, somebody who you will all know from the fan community and from organising that very special Neighbours celebration tour that so many of you enjoyed so much. So jealous. Um, it's Damien Sands. Hello there. Hello, Damien. Welcome, Damien. Thank you. Such so a pleasure much. to have you. I'm so excited. I have loved this podcast from the beginning. Uh, and so it's wonderful to actually be on it. Oh, well, and we love the tour. I enjoyed it so much. Um, and as you'll have heard, when you listen back to that podcast, I witted on about it for an extensive amount of time. Uh, it was so it was so fun. It that was so wonderful to hear, actually. Um it it was so it was such a special time and also it it took so long to become a proper live thing um right. that you know it's kind of um it's really nice to still hear um how much it meant to people and and also kind of remind you of things because that whole period ended up being quite a blur and so yeah. it is sort of still now a few months on random things come into your head and go oh yeah that happened like the time we were uh <laughs> in manchester and at 7 a.m the hotel fire alarm went off and oh, the wow. entire hotel had to evacuate a lot of people oh very bleary-eyed but of course what do they want to do ask stefan dennis for a selfie that's what they want <laughs> i mean people who didn't know that was who was staying in the hotel must have thought they were hallucinating at three o'clock in the morning when their alarm goes off and they can just see people from their past you know when exactly. they watch neighbors wandering it, it was kind of funny clocking people's reactions at times when you see them <laughs> like some people would not hide exactly what they felt and uh, you'd see these sort of mammoth double takes or them really subtly trying to nudge the person next to them going look over there don't look now look look it's like if you see guess... one you know you think oh that's nice stuff and Dennis must be visiting but when you start seeing six yeah that's been quite <laughs> that's when it am I on the show <laughs> I, I think it's kind of like wishing to meet Stefan Dennis on a cursed monkey paw because like <laughs> it, you meet him, but you meet him at 3am when you're probably looking and feeling your worst. Yeah. <laughs> We've just been woken up by a fire alarm, hair everywhere, God knows. If you sleep in the nude, I mean, you know, yeah. anyway, um, let's not even go there. I've, I've made it weird already. It's, it's only uh, 11 in the morning and I've already made it weird. I guess um, there's something about how, because these are people who come into our homes through the screen, do you know what I mean? So if, if you're a regular watcher of whatever soap it might be, obviously we're the watchers of the best, um, then it's so personal. I think Absolutely. it becomes part of your routine. Um, you're used to the faces. You notice if someone's looking a bit thinner or a bit fatter or whatever it might be. I know one of my uh, best friends. I'm not going to name drop. But one of my best friends is in a different soap, another soap, and hmm. um, lives in Manchester. And when we go out, or I know from his stories, when he goes out and about, the way that people approach him is like they know him, but they don't. They know his character. Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah that was something that was really fascinating actually because 
alongside the tour, we had um, meet and greet sessions running. Um, right. And, uh, and I talked to every single person in that queue, kind of a bit like a warm-up act almost, right. uh, <laughs> which wasn't the intention when we began the tour, but we really quickly realised that this was a mammoth thing for those people. And so mm. I kind of talked to them to either calm them down because <laughs> they were either really stressing or really hyper about it because they they didn't know how to cope with it or it would be kind of to bring them out a bit of themselves um because they were starting to get very nervous and shy about meeting these people and so I just talked to them about um uh what their favorite era was favorite characters favorite stories uh and we ended up feeding that into the show that night as well but Mm -hmm. what Uh, the thing that really came through was um, so many people said, I know these people that I'm about to meet. I have met them for so long and spent so much time with them, but it's just dawning on me now that I've never seen them like as a 3D person. It's always been on this Mm. screen in front of me. And so now I just don't know what to say to them kind of thing. And Mm. I found that really, really interesting as as a concept. Yeah, I mean, what do you, I guess it's an odd thing, a meet and greet like that, because sort of what do you hope to get out of the interaction? Like, you know, what's what's the end game, like to, to yeah. meet your hero? But then like, once you get there, it is an interesting psychological thing. I wish you'd been there. It sounds like a wonderful service. I wish you'd been there at the time that me and my grandma were waiting to meet um, the one and only Alan, Alan Fletcher, mm-hmm. Dr. Carl. Lovely Fletch. <laughs> yeah, and we um we, we were waiting after a panto. I, I'd emailed him beforehand and yeah, I said, I'm, story, I'm, I'm, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I'm coming with my elderly grandmother. And he was so lovely. He was like, Yep, yep, wait for me afterwards. Um, and he, he actually um he had forgotten to email me back and he mm. said at the show, If you're Sarah, <laughs> like, don't worry, I got your email. It was really nice. Aww. Um so I was waiting with my grandma um, and she was getting so crotchety because he was talking to someone else and giving them the time of day as he does because he's Alan Fletcher. Um, and she, it was almost like she was waiting for a real doctor. She's like, when do you think we're going to be seen? I'm like, this, isn't, <laughs> this isn't the actual GP. So we needed you there to, to sort of keep her calm and be the warm-up act. Or, or she just would have been very mean to you, I think. If, if it was yeah. the actual GP in the UK, you'd have been waiting another six weeks before you got to see him, <laughs> yeah. even just for a 5 minutes chat. Absolutely, <laughs> you know that's, that's topical. <laughs> so, so speaking of the questions that you were asking the people in the audience, that's very pertinent. So, what what is your neighbour's history? How did you come to love the show and eventually come to be involved with something as iconic as the tour? Well, so I got into the show where um, because of my grandmother, uh, she oh. would watch it at lunchtime whilst babysitting me. Um, and uh, and so we would sit down, have our lunch, watching it, um, and oh. I just straight away got hooked. Um, the my two very first memories that they're really specific. Um, it, the two scenes that stick out for me are um, when Beth Travers locked Shane in her cellar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and then we enjoyed that. <laughs> and then also when. Um, it was the recap scene from Shane and Daphne's engagement party when they're in the kind of leafy togas uh, type thing. <laughs> Those are the two things that really stand out for me from wow. that time. And I didn't, 
it's only a few years ago that I went, where did that actually come in Neighbours history? Because I knew it was roughly 1986, but I was actually quite surprised to see how close to the beginning of the Channel 10 episodes that was. Yeah, um, yeah really close. And so then in that early period sort of like the 80s into the 90s I I was really obsessed like I would watch it I collected all the fan cards and things like that um (laughs) you know uh and uh and then it always stuck with me sort of going on to university to working you know there might be sometimes that real life would get in the way and I might not watch every single episode but I'd still know what was going on and there'd be big peaks of things that would bring you back in like I remember absolutely loving the Carl and Izzy story and and then yeah. into the um the 20th anniversary with all of those returnees and you were going oh look at this person coming back because that was the one of the first times Neighbours had done that on a big scale again um and then sort of continued through and then probably I'd say somewhere around 2013-14 is when I properly fell back into watching it absolutely right. religiously all the time. And around that time, I kind of um, was a bit more public about my love for neighbours again. Um, <laughs> and to, uh, well, one very good friend of mine revealed himself to be a Closet Neighbours fan as well and introduced me to someone else. So we started this, um, uh, we had a little Facebook group together, just a group message uh, for the three of us called the Neighbours Support Group. Um, (laughs) Whenever we were watching, because we all watched at different paces, like um, someone might watch every day, another person might binge all five on the weekend. And so we'd just drop messages in there, waiting for people to to catch up or kind of go, so like, have you heard this rumour? And so on. And then one of um, uh, one of us introduced him to the amazing Facebook group, uh, the Neighbours Unmissable D- uh, Doodles. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so sort of just became sort of uh, this hidden fandom that was there that could geek out over everything and talk about it and so on. And it's actually um, through a similar thing on Twitter that I started talking to Joe Julian's. Um, yeah. who is the wonderful man who came up with the idea for the tour. Uh, we love Joe. Hello, Joe. We love Joe. Uh, and we talked about it right back when it was going to be just one night to celebrate Neighbours' 35th anniversary that was going to be in October 2020 at the Adelphi Theatre. And I was saying to him, oh, I've done a show at the Adelphi before, a couple of shows. I know my way around that building really well. Uh, (laughs) Nice. Subtly dropping in. Um, And then the small- I could be your helper. I could be your eyes on the ground. Exactly. You know, what do you need? Do you need need a coffee man? Do you need anything? Um, And then the small little global events of that happened in 2020, uh, kind of postponed that. And by the time it came to reschedule the show, when Australians could fly over to the UK and so on, um, we've, of course, gone into the period that uh, the show has been cancelled. And Joe tipped me off that it was going to be rebranded as the the farewell tour and said, "Um, you you should definitely talk to the producers uh, or so on. So I wrote them this letter and I just said, hi, I'm a theatre director. I also, uh, I do a lot of uh, one night events as well as uh, big shows. 
uh, I have company managed, uh, I have produced. I don't know if you need any of these things, but here's what I do. And by the way, I'm a Mammoth Neighbours fan as well. Um, and uh, and so we set up a Zoom call and it was, it was like the weirdest period of my life because yeah. I was over in New York opening a Broadway show, which is surreal and wonderful and amazing in itself. Um, and so kind of, I'm already in this stage of kind of going, I can't believe what is happening right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the time we had this Zoom call was the day before our press night in America, because that was when our schedules could align. So went into this meeting and it was a wonderful chat, just sort of like about neighbours and what they had planned already and my thoughts and starting to work out some of the logistics side of that. Um, and then found out I got the job as such. And so wow. just having this crazy, crazy week in New York of just going, you know, if this wasn't big enough, now I'm going to be spending time with the cast of neighbours and not only that, going on tour with them around the country. How did and- you feel? Yeah, I I sent a voice note to someone, uh, and it was just noises. Like it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I had to decipher it later for them. Um, and the thing that made it really special was that was about two weeks before the final episode aired, and what to me, I kind of thought, uh. One, it means I don't need to say goodbye to the show just yet. I get at least another year to live it. Um, But also, Mm. for me, I was kind of thinking, um, this is sort of like my thank you to the show for being this constant throughout my life. And, you know, um, I think we bond with a show like Neighbours because uh, it it gives us so much. Like, it, um, it... educates us in a way it opens our eyes to things mm. it helps you mm. come to terms with things in your own life um and adds into your personality and you know for um so I kind of felt really strongly that that was one of the main reasons I wanted to do it um yeah. and it did indeed turn out to be a, a really lovely coda to that time into a new chapter of the show into everything but also it was so much more than a job um Mm. it became a real sort of turning point and changing thing for so many of the people involved in it um uh, for many many different reasons so just such a really special thing to be part of and then you got to meet so many of these wonderful fans around uh, around the globe literally um and share stories with them and hear how much the show means and uh and I think that's why sort of your words on the podcast really resonated because ultimately it was a show that was made with a lot of love like Joe is a huge Neighbours fan as well. And together we pulled all of that into kind of what we wanted to bring out in the show, what we wanted to discuss. Um, ironic with the, the run of episodes we're going to discuss today. But um, we both said really <laughs> early on that uh, whenever you hear Neighbours being talked about in the wider media, a lot yeah. of the time, the two things that it hinges on are Scott and Charlene and Bouncer's Green. Um, yeah, <laughs> true. You know, those are those are iconic moments, um, and I am a massive Scott and Charlene fan. Um, but uh, but there's so much more to the show than that, and it has evolved. It has changed over uh, so much time, mm. and we really wanted the show to reflect that. And 
what was lovely is so many people that came to see it recognized how much love had gone into the show and I think that's the best part for us yeah it's so, so wonderful hearing you talk about it like that. And this is one thing that I adore about Neighbours. And I think why, why it's so successful in part, um, and no small part at all, is because they hire fans. They hire super fans. They hire the people who write them the passionate letters yeah. um, because they they recognize that the continuation of the legacy of that show and people who really understand and appreciate that legacy and history they're going to be the the safest pair of hands, you know, the gatekeepers, and um, you know, the it's. I think it's it's absolutely wonderful that that you got to do that and um, and be part of that. Was there anyone um, on the show that was like completely like their character in real life, or so not like their character that it was Jara? Were people how, kind of how you expected them to be? Uh, it's so funny because you know the um, these people have played their characters for such a long time, and I think inevitably there are shades of them that do start to infiltrate the character and you can see moments that they're so similar but at the same time I think they're all very very different as well um and it's kind of like a whole degree of shading um and uh, watching some of the episodes back now like I've been dipping into various ones of the ones being streamed and it's so funny watching it because I can now that I know them so so well, I can go, mm, I can really tell that you're about to laugh there. Or <laughs> this was definitely an unscripted moment that someone has just popped in. Or you are really loving playing that moment here. And you can kind of see those things um, yeah. in it. Uh, that They are all, like we had um, six of them on the UK leg. And then mm-hmm. three of those were in Melbourne with us and we had another four over there and all of them are genuinely the loveliest human beings in the world they are I love to hear that they are so warm they are so generous uh with everything um and that is both to like the workings of the tour it was a really tough schedule we had um uh and you know there was sometimes like I think one of our craziest days we left Cardiff um at 9am having done a show there the night before um traveled on our lovely tour bus to the london palladium uh we got there at 10 to 2 an hour later than planned because of traffic um the cast spilled off the coach um grabbed some food really quickly ran onto the stage had lots of euphoria being on the london palladium um Mm -hmm. we did a very quick sound check and then off they went to do 250 meet and greets and they were there by 10 plus two um and that sorry 250 250 and that afternoon yeah we started so normally we'd start 250 at two o'clock we started at 10 past two it lasted through until 6 30 with one 15 minute break our hour for dinner and then do a two and a half hour show and all the way through they were just like come on, these people, they're here to see us and we need to give them just as great a time as anyone else that's come to see us. Um, wow. So giving to that. And everyone came and had the same experience there. Um, so that's just one example of how brilliant they are um, uh, in terms of their job. But also, like, um, there were so many ways when you take a bunch of 
celebrities essentially and you're going right we're going to tour you around the country um here are x amount of people are going to tour with you you're going to tour on the same bus you'll be in the same hotels and so on so many ways that could go and right Mm. from the beginning they were all we we are one here we're all doing this show together um we want to spend time with you we want to get to know you um and uh and then that continued right the way through to when i went over to melbourne uh they I think there was a two and a half week gap between the end of the tour and me going over. Um, and it was l- like we'd been apart for months, it felt like. Um, <laughs> that, that's also a theatre thing, isn't it? Because you yeah, were you've been in like, it's, it's very similar to Edinburgh, you know, um, yeah. festival. It's like a bubble. Um, mm. You've been in that crazy time, you spent all that time together. It's so intensive. So the moment you don't, it's like, where is everyone? I miss them. Um, and I got over there and all of them were like, right, I, I want I want to take you today. I want to take you over here. I want to take you for dinner. I've got to introduce you to this person. Oh, come down to the set this day uh, and so on. And they're just so, so lovely. Do you know what your story Gosh. makes me think of Adam Lambert, uh, the singer Adam mm. Lambert, and about how, you know, he was on America's Got Talent or X Factor or whichever one it was, or American Idol. And, you know, towards the end, um, the final, I think, three or four, they get to perform with one of their idols. And he was, you know, this huge Queen fan and he got to perform with um, Brian May. And now he is Freddie Mercury. Like now he is. Yeah covering that role <laughs> in Queen and I always think he must wake up in the morning and just go this is clearly a dream like this is clearly <laughs> I mean how am I Freddie Mercury you know it's amazing so when you get to sort of really meet and spend time with with people I found that in, in comedy you know when I've got to the point now of working with some of the people who are like my comedy heroes and every so often you just are, are a bit shocked oh I feel yeah. I'm Completely. just like a bit shocked by who's on my who's in my whatsapps yeah. Yeah. Is that well that's yeah. the thing. So um I, one of the most amazing moments was um back near the end of August uh mm. and we did a Zoom call with all of the UK um casts that were doing the tour um with Joe and I and it was partly ju- that was the first time we were getting everyone together just to mm. give them a little bit of an outline but also just talk to them about some of our ideas for the tour get some input from them hear some of their thoughts on things um and it was the surrealist but wonderful thing to start this zoom call and one by one these squares pop up with them uh and you see them but the best thing was that was a um a couple of months after they finished filming and it had screened so it was the first time they'd seen each other for probably eight weeks ten weeks or so so their joy at seeing each other and catching up um, was really infectious and that was when we went okay this is going to be very exciting this dynamic with them because they clearly love each other um, mm-hmm. and then during the course of that call we planned quite a few things and in one sense we're going to make um, it a lot more structured um, the tour and actually the best thing was just we'd say one thing um, or introduce a topic and then just let them talk and their mm. memories would take over and they'd start talking about these crazy details of things and we're going you know what this is the best thing just seeing them converse like this and yeah. and talk and bring out the memories from each other and we at that point we kind of decided that was the way forward to go with the tour and you know as a, as a kind of 
quite a super fan of it. I feel like there's a lot I have heard about the show um, before and or read in various interviews and so on. And the best thing was that across every day of the tour, I learned something new from one of the anecdotes they were talking about. Uh, And I think that is... uh, it's so nice to keep getting fresh details out there and that's I think what made the tour quite unique in we didn't do an identical show every night because I know that because the people sitting behind me went like (laughs) oh that's not how they asked that question yesterday I wonder how they'll do it tomorrow and I was like my god there are people who are going every night I actually fist pumped when you were talking about that (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I was like yes (laughs) well we kind of knew that um, because this tour miraculously sold out like within two hours of it going on sale. So we knew we've got 32,000 people coming to see the show. Um, and we know that quite a few of them are coming more than once. So we want to give a bit of variation. And also the cast were really clear. They didn't want to say the same thing every single night. Um, so, mm-hmm. so that like 15 performances in it becomes really stale. So we kind of came up with a structure that would allow us, would, uh, that would allow technically it to sort of like be, uh, there'd be enough continuity to for us not to be re-teching every day, um, mm-hmm. but that we could throw in new questions. We could go, oh, we liked where this discussion went last night. Let's open up that topic now. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the things that um, I found out when talking to the people in the meet and greet queue, that became almost like market research. And we went, okay, loads of them are fans of this storyline or this era. Let's yeah. make sure we mm-hmm. have a bit more of that in tonight and so on. Um, and Leah, our host over here, um, and Jen in Australia as well, they were so um, accommodating with that. They really loved that challenge because both of them work in live environments. And it just kind of kept the the show really fresh every night. Yeah. Wonderful. Gosh, you really lived the dream. I'm so uh, I'm so jealous. I have like a million more questions. I'm I'm keenly aware that we we have um yet to get stuck into yeah. the episodes, but like I could talk to you about this tour all day. I'm sure Rachel, you probably have, yeah. have a million things swirling in your head as well. Completely. But, and um, it's just like in relation to um some of the things you've said about performing and touring, and uh, you know my experience of actually doing that as well. You know, I'm never going to complain if somebody waits at the like three people who wait for me after a tour show I'm like so happy and excited that anyone wants to talk to me but if I had to face 250 or whatever it was I think yeah it might be very overwhelming (laughs) yeah my my autistic brain just shriveled and died at the thought 250 people one after another that have to know what to say to each of them that that's that's one incredible skill set you know you don't think about the casts would say uh, we all said sort of that the meet and greets were the hardest part of the tour in uh because it, it took so much to to do that uh from stamina uh everything um but it was also the most rewarding part by far. It was seeing up close um, and hearing uh, from all these people and their stories, why they loved the show, what it meant to them. That was the real thing that shone through. And that would really fire everyone up for the show that night. Um, So it was was an exhausting, huge thing to do, but 
everyone came away from them just going, wow. And did you hear what this person said? And, and that person's story, it, it was full of joy. Because there's nothing like making connections with people. You yeah. Know, that's that's exactly. really, that's what, hu- as humans, we like to tell stories and make connections, you know, whatever form that takes. And, like, you know, I'm not going to lie, when I did my show last year that had the bit about neighbours in it, um, and people came up to me afterwards and they said, you know what, I'm also a neighbours fan, and that really made me laugh that you referenced that. And I, it was like a special, it's going to sound pathetic, on anywhere else apart from on this podcast, um, it felt really special because I thought, oh, so there's a bit of us that's alike you know we have yeah. something yeah. profound in common um uh, and that was a, a lovely lovely thing yeah well thank you damien from the whole fan community for for facilitating that incredible experience for so many people i know that people just absolutely adored it and everyone who was there said how incredible it was so um you know i i think your your passion for it and excitement just um probably made the whole thing a, a million times better than if it had been in the hands of somebody who who wasn't as mad about the show as we all are so thank you for making it so wonderful well oh, thank you so much shall we oh, start digging go deep back into in time. 10 <laughs> episodes of, of neighbors i don't know damon are you a notes maker or are you i have like made a... notes i so i listened to your podcast so i was like well i have to make notes you you guys have <laughs> there are quite a few moments that i really recognized how much i listened to your podcast because i oh, would really? I, something would happen i would go the girls are gonna love this moment <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing oh well, so Sarah, you're we, going to guide us through. <laughs> I, I will be your tour guide on, on this magical mystery tour of Neighbours history. I'm, I'm already losing the plot. I'm so excited. <laughs> it is getting good, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. There was an Who? overarching theme of Jim saying <laughs> profoundly untrue things that I enjoyed in this. Um, you know, <laughs> things weird and untrue things that aren't based on anything his character has said or done previously. So I'm excited to get into those. I'm excited to. I have made minimal notes because I figured that you two would be so observant <laughs> that I would be obsolete. So I, I will guide us through the, the big the big right. stuff and mm. leave the minutiae to the experts. Um, so let, let's start. I, I've divided it by storyline just because it, it is a little neater this month. So should we start with Zoe, Jim, Paul and Lucy um, yeah. or the, yeah. the, the Robinsons in general? Mm-hmm. We we left last uh, block of episodes with the slap, uh, the big the big slap. I feel like um, there should so... be a word for that kind of pathetic slap, like it's because it's not really a, it's a you know <laughs> it's like a, a wet fish slap, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it was just a sort of kipper. Yeah, like, a little kipper. Um, Paul um, enough to humiliate Paul into moving out, which um, he moves into Lassiter's. Um, and he is basically the kid in Home Alone. That's exactly what I wrote down. <laughs> <laughs> that is great really the sentence that I wrote down. Hilarious. <laughs> what, what, what does he get up to there, guys? <laughs> uh, he, um, he orders not just chocolate mousse, but also after-dinner mints. And I thought, there you go. That's someone who's not been in a hotel before. And also doesn't really know much about like the structure of a meal, because why would you have chocolate twice? Yeah, check your yeah. pillow, Paul. Mm. Yeah, he was a proper <laughs> Kevin McAllister behaviour. Yeah. 
the room i thought was really interesting like in terms of the decor i'm not sure i've seen a more depressing look he, he was very impressed by it and also it might be just the color has faded in the sort of um probably quite pirated copies that we were watching online um but he, he acted like he'd gone into the most sumptuous palace yeah. it was just it was just shades of grayish and including his clothes he he was dressed to tonally blend with the color scheme of the room that can't be coincidence that's got to be <laughs> someone in production who thought Do you know what would look lovely here another bit of brown <laughs> well it's the era isn't it it was the era of beige but he um yeah everyone keeps asking how is he afford paul can't afford this paul can't afford this well is that going somewhere can paul afford this because he, he he didn't seem too worried about the bill when he was ordering like the lobster lobster and two lots of chocolate um, yeah well, he's working for Rosemary, you know. She's a good payer. Yeah, I, I guess so. Um, so, so he's he's left behind a big emotional mess at home because he's riled Lucy right up, um, and now Lucy hates Zoe. Um, Zoe, um, so Jim is like torn between Zoe and Lucy. He doesn't know which little girl to comfort first. Um, what which do you is, think uh, something... about it, um, Damien? The kind of dynamic of Jim and Lu- and Zoe. Well, so. I listened to uh, the most recent episode of the podcast just before I started watching. So I knew, kind of knew where you were up to in your thought. And actually, kind of coming back into it here, I thought that, that they actually seem all right in this run of episodes mm-hmm. together. Like, I feel like Zoe feels a bit more grown up here mm-hmm. than she has in yeah. previous episodes. Um, and... I agree. It's really difficult to a to put an age on them uh, yeah. because, <laughs> like, it's like I can't place where they're supposed to be. Um, but I don't know. Maybe it's because their relationship is going better in this run of episodes. I don't know. But they they kind of seemed okay uh, mm. with it. Um, what I did think is that after sort of like. Paul's really obnoxious behaviour just at the run of uh, end of the last lot of episodes. Yeah. I did think that there were some quite cute scenes between him and Lucy uh, at yeah. the beginning of the run. Like when he's talking to her about that he is actually going to be leaving and so on. Like um, I actually thought he's been quite, a, he sort of seems to have got a bit of a conscience again and is yeah. being quite a good big brother here. Um and trying to manage things a little bit with her. Mm. Um, she softens him. Yeah. He's, she, yeah. She's pretty much the only one. Maybe Helen a little bit, but he's, he's an arsehole to everyone else. Yeah. And I, I think maybe sort of, maybe there are sort of little seeds of sort of the redeemable uh, features of Paul here. Because sort of like in that scene where he does land himself in the hotel and, you know, orders everything off the menu and so yeah. on. I found it really interesting that the camera stayed on him for quite a while and it didn't mm. sort of like end scene, move on. We kind of stayed there and just kind of lingered on him and sort of saw his mask slip a little bit and kind of going, you know, maybe this isn't as great as it's going to be uh, and so on. And there's a few examples of that threaded through the block. So I, yeah. I kind of feel that 
every time we see Paul do something here, there is a bit of a longer arc at play. And particularly near the end of the um, the block, there were a few quotes that came out. I'll cover those later when we yeah. move through. Ooh, that's exciting. Yeah, I, um, I mean, I think yeah. it's nice. It felt to me like, it. Um, you know how they still have that close relationship, him and Lucy, really as a thread all the way through till when it stopped. We obviously yeah. don't know how it will be now when it comes back. And I just thought that's quite lovely because often in soaps you have to kind of people are close and then they're not close and they're close and they're not close. But really, I don't I don't remember much. And it may be over, you know, the next 60 years of so I'm not doing the podcast um, <laughs> that will change. But I don't really remember them having a significant falling out because there's such a basis of love and you see it being drawn up now. And that's quite a nice thing. Absolutely. I think there's so many times in the you know, 37 years that we see one of them be the conscience for the other. Um, And, and it, and it's really nice to see that origin of it right here. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. Um, There is a funny moment where Jim says he's going to see Zoe and, and Lucy's upset because she's just, basically told Zoe that she that everyone hates her and yeah. slammed the door in her face um and um Helen says like the little girl here needs your attention or something to that effect yeah. like, it's it's really pointed like this little girl needs you <laughs> I thought that was that was some quite nice subtle shade if it was intentional well, Helen was um, quite in, like, an ancillary character throughout this little crop um yeah she didn't really have much to do other than prop up other storylines and make occasional weird laughs which is like now and then and a kind of quite weird laughs even at the beginning of this you know with Lucy um I thought it was fascinating right at the beginning and Lucy saying to Jim you don't really want him to leave and Jim saying yes I do try to understand try to understand she's like how old is she 11 or something try to understand I think she was nine or ten well I'm kicking out your brother try to understand it's what a thing to put on your little daughter yeah and then and uh and he says heaven knows I've tried to be understanding I'm pretty sure he hasn't tried to be understanding at any point in this proceedings of how anyone else feels but um I thought super classic line from Jim to Zoe uh when she's saying I'm sorry that I've caused all this stress in your family uh which was this has got absolutely nothing to do with you apart from the fact that you're a woman and that's nothing to be ashamed of. <laughs> Thanks, Jim, for the permission. I was ashamed of my womanhood, but then Jim Robinson came along and told me it was okay and I feel a lot better now. But it's like you felt in the first half of that sentence saying like it's absolutely nothing to do with you. That makes no sense at all because it's entirely to do with the two of them. So that's nonsense. But then, you know, it's just your woman. Don't, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. It was, <laughs> that was the first of the first two of, well, three, because, yeah, telling Lucy she has to understand, telling everyone how, how hard done by he is because he's tried to be understanding. He hasn't tried to be understanding. And then, uh, yeah, like giving um, some kind of validation to Zoe that in spite mm-hmm. of being a woman, you know, she doesn't need to feel bad about it. Although everyone is having a really unfair go at Zoe for, quote, breaking up the Robinsons. One would think that he was, he'd been married and she'd broken up the marriage or something. Even then, that would be on him. Mm. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's really unfair, everyone putting this emotion. Like, everywhere she goes, Des is doing it, Daphne's yeah. doing it. You know, they're, they're, they're all putting this heft of the, the, the family not being able to accept Jim having any kind I mean they are yes there's issues with the age gap that I think are are 
are separate. But I do think that the family, the, the issue that the family seems to have is not that Zoe is young. It's that Jim's attention is yes. briefly kind of a bit divided, which is actually fine. And he's allowed a life. <laughs> Jim seems very surprised by the fact that this has made him unpopular, which I guess makes sense with what you're saying. Um, I liked Nikki saying that she'd always thought this was an ordinary type of family, nothing much. Yeah. But it's been nothing but drama <laughs> since she arrived. So. I know. <laughs> it's like, I don't know where you've been, Nikki, but listen. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> um, so what happens? What, how do Lucy and Bradley uh, react to this situation? Oh, they, they've become little runaways. Yeah. <laughs> what did we think of that? The, I mean, the scene where they pop up behind Paul, I was just like, oh, this is <laughs> kind of cute. <laughs> mm. um, uh, I mean, it's a very half-hearted attempt at running away. Yeah. Um, uh, and probably sort of like more for the attention, uh, I think. But again, I thought this was where Paul's good big brother style came into play like uh mm-hmm. the way he uh he dealt with talking to Lucy and like almost you kind of yeah. thought oh this is going to pave the way for him moving back in until he just says I just need a break from the family uh, yes I thought that was great I also wrote that down just yeah. I think my kids have both said that quite often just need a break <laughs> back or maybe just from me um not the fact the rest of the family is fine it's just just the mum um yeah there's i mean there, there's so many weird conversations around this this whole subject um you know the idea that jim says to scott we've always been honest with each other haven't we when he's discussing paul they haven't when when were they honest with each other mm-hmm. yeah you know, you i mean i guess when he when he told scott about the well, there, there was a bomb. There was a time there was a bomb um, at Paul's wedding, and no one told him. Yeah, there was. Um, uh, there's the whole. Did he assault people? Has he's he's had multiple issues with uh, the females. I don't know. It's so odd. Um, and then um, the idea that there's. I can't remember who said it now. That the Robinson family dynamic means there's always room for one more. Um, that's clearly not true. <laughs> um, then you've got. Oh, but I don't know how I didn't miss this when we were talking about it earlier. Um, at one point. Um, Zoe's talking to Jim about you know the whole emotions around the situation and he says to her Zoe you remind me of Lucy and then they go in for a massive snog <laughs> the Australians a massive pash <laughs> yeah that's disturbing yeah. also father of the year Jim yeah. when uh, when the kids go missing and Andrea's panicking about what if something's happened he goes, and he's he goes oh fine I'll call the police if you're that worried it's like, what's, what's wrong with they you must have the police on speed dial yeah. yeah, he was so he was so uh, resentful of having to care about his small child being missing. He's like rolling his eyes. And there was another uh, weird conversation no. around then where they're all speculating about why she might have run away, and it comes, <laughs> and it's all sort of like a real surprise. Oh, do you think it might be because of Zoe? Do you think? And it's like, what else have we been talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think this is just about Edward um, yeah. somehow. Oh, but I, Edward, may I Bradley, for a blessing. Yes, yes. Rest in pieces, as I believe uh, I uh, Bradley, Bradley has gone up in my estimation. Um, running away simply to protect Lucy. I think that was lovely. So <laughs> good, good boy, Bradley. Uh, right. If you're going to run away, that's the right reason. Yeah, do it. Do it for your friend. Be there for your friend. 
Yeah. So the upshot is that Paul um, is responsible. And after taking them out for dinner to reward them for running away, I guess, um, bring does bring them home. And it's, things are sort of not resolved with Jim, but it feels like a ceasefire for now. Yeah, it's definitely kind of moved on, hasn't it? Yeah. And I, I kind of quite like that it wasn't a smooth kind of happy ending as such kind of like they've they've kind of it's almost like they've agreed to disagree yeah it's a detente yeah, yeah. Is that the I words? think I don't think the subject is closed it is it's a uh, cooling uh, uh, or thawing rather of relations yeah is the, the word um, yeah. yeah there's a bit of gaslighting as well of Paul saying well I kind of deserve to be hit which is a terrible thing to tell your little sister. Um, hmm. You know, it wasn't all dad's fault. I kind of deserved to be hit, but again, yeah. that's I guess of its time. Yeah, he was he was asking for it. I mean, he kind of was. It's <laughs> <That's laughs> terrible. <laughs> he was he was certainly asking to be put in his place. I I wouldn't have hit him. Hmm. I, I might have I might have said some things, but um, yes, um, he he wasn't behaving very nicely. But yeah, it is a very bad example to set for his for his younger sister that if if you behave poorly, expect expect physical violence. Hmm. Yeah. Um. So, is there anything else that we want to say about the storyline before we move on to Lenny? Um, I'm just looking through. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, just it chills out, doesn't it, really? Um, Until we have the cafe for sale dynamic. So, uh, should we leave it till then? Yeah. Yes. So, we have a new character. Yes. I don't know. I don't know if people have heard of her. <laughs> um, she is I feel being like we introduced. Put in some of her music now. Um, that's what we yeah, do. Uh, very slick. <laughs> certainly, if we weren't worried about getting sued. Um, but um, that, let's just say we've we've mentioned it before. She's spinning around, move out yeah. of her way. Um, so yeah, um, obviously you will know her as Charlene. Um, Charlene, Charlene, I mean Lenny is here. Um, so, I had no so... recollection, by the way, at all that she wasn't no. Charlene from the beginning, and she was Lenny. No, rec- no, that came as absolute news to me. Um, even though I did watch it at the time, didn't sink in at all. Uh, well, yeah. so, like Mike actually calls her Lenny in the last episode as well. Yeah. Mm. Yes, oh, yeah. That's true. I hadn't thought about her at all. Wow, well, I need to pay more attention. Gosh, what a throwback. So we all know the iconic um, entrance scene, but Damien, would you like to describe it uh, for anybody who has been living under a rock for the last 37 years? Well, you know, there is Scott just, you know, casually walking down uh, the street when the most dramatic underscore in the world starts. (laughs) Like, it is almost like they knew this monumental character was going to have a big impact because the (laughs) underscore is like the biggest thing. (laughs) Um, And he spots this figure trying to uh, haul her way in through the window of the Ramsey house and up he pops, uh, tries to stop her, gets a punch, which I thought was considering all your debate about uh, Jim slapping Paul, the fact that Lenny punches Scott, I I think there's something going on here, which we can talk about in a bit. Um, But, uh, and then Madge comes around and instantly realises it is her daughter, Charlene. 
um, yeah. off comes the hat and those that big hair comes out. And yeah. here she is. <laughs> it has a very Miss Jones, you're beautiful moment about that hat coming off, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. Mm. She didn't need to punch Scott. She could have just taken off her hat and been like, Scott, it's me. We know they they clearly know each other. Yeah. It's it is a so, very violent show, isn't it? There is a lot of hitting. There's I mean, there's other hits to come in these few weeks, you know, episodes yeah. that we've watched. There's a lot of there's a lot of hitting. Yeah, she, it just felt like she punched him because she felt like it, not yeah. because not, not because she was fearful for her safety in any way. What yeah. were you, what are you thinking about that, Damien? Um, well, so I I actually think so. There's so many references across this block, and I'm partly going. I know what's coming up shortly, mm-hmm. but I I think Neighbours is playing quite a long game with a lot of gender politics here. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're doing a lot of um, subverting expectations, um, mixing things up a bit, and kind of uh, trying to make points about sort of women in society around that time. Um, uh, and that sort of, because I think, as you have identified uh, in uh, recent episodes, that the men are a little bit hopeless at times. Yes. Um, and it is down to the women to sort things out. Um, and I just think there's there's so many points here that we we get references to, or just the framing of Charlene as well. Like she's she is in many respects a tomboy, uh, but she's not dressed like a tomboy. Like they, they really kind of um, make her quite feminine at times as well mm. with her big pink earrings, her, her pink socks. Um, uh, sort of there's lots of references to her makeup and so on. Mm. Um, so she's not like what we would call a stereotypical tomboy, but she's got this huge drive in her to be the mechanic and so on. Um trying to find some of the other references because there's lots of things with Daphne as well um yeah. and Shane is often I think the person who um Shane and Madge have kind of like the the traditional voice of yeah. what mm. we expect a woman should do and I think that the show makes so much effort but um to kind of point out that we shouldn't agree with it um and the the way in which um the kind of double standards of how people think it's all right for a man to do something but not a woman is mm. going to come to the fore a bit more in the next couple of blocks as well so i yeah. I, I feel like there's a bit of an undercurrent in what they're doing here so it's shining a light rather than it's just exploring a story yeah exactly interesting ooh yeah, I guess I hadn't thought about that because I'm I'm just responding to what I see on the screen, which is like these men are terrible. Yeah. But you're right; the framing of it is that we are not supposed to be on the side of the fragile men. Um, we you know we don't want Daphne to give up her work. We don't want Charlene to not be a mechanic. Um, yeah. and so yeah, I mean that that's basically Madge's issue with Charlene is that she's not feminine enough and she's not she's not sort of dainty and ladylike enough. Yeah, um, she says something and, like she needs to learn how to conform. Yes. Oh, and that, that made that she me would allow, furious. And that she'd allow her to do some kind of nice little secretarial course if she yes. was to after school. <laughs> but you know what else is quite interesting, actually? There's the mechanic thing, because that's a repeated theme with other characters, you know, in terms of Steph, um, you know, 
there, yeah. there's more than one female mechanic. It's um, as if that's the only boy job, in inverted commas, <laughs> the neighbours girls are allowed to have. Yeah. Oh, we had a plumber, really of course, Terry the plumber. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 of course, people were outraged by that too. Yeah. Um, she she also what I love about Charlene is that she immediately and unapologetically fancies all the boys. Yeah. And uh, that is a girl after my own heart. Like she's <laughs> she's just there to flirt and have a good time and go out dancing and like yeah. and and she's not there to conform. Um, and that you know I can see why she captured the hearts of millions of teenagers yeah. because yeah. she's. Well, she she's iconic. I just thought she's I put down she's like a firecracker arriving yeah, into yeah. that family. Um like she's got so much energy with it and and it really kind of creates something magical there like the cam- she's really engaging on camera. Um mm. uh, and it starts to do things like there's this the scene when she comes back late with Danny and the camera follows her around and it's just literally like it's injected this bunch of energy into it. Yeah. Um and yeah. uh, and I thought all of the the dialogue with her, it's so quick, it's so witty. Um whether she's in it or if they're talking about her. Like I love that scene where um you've got Madge Shane, Danny and Max and they keep calling her Lenny and Madge automatically corrects her to Charlene and then at one point she calls her Lenny and they all immediately call (laughs) her and it's just like this is it's so sparky uh and so on um I also think that sort of the you mentioned a couple of podcasts ago uh that sort of um Neighbours does this thing of you introduce a character and they're quite they're quite almost unlikable at the moment because they're an extreme of some sign. And Madge came in and she was like this prim and proper, ordering people around, high standards everywhere. And what I love is that we're probably like about three, four months into the Channel 10 episodes now. And mm-hmm. bit by bit, we've sort of seen her peel back like an onion. And we had mm-hmm. like that really lovely stuff with... Um, when Madge was comforting Nikki about uh, Laura and starting to see a bit of a softer side of it. And then we get Charlene here and we sort of see Madge's Achilles heel um, of her children. And, you know, where she's tried to make these um, things for her or decisions for them or tried to lead them somewhere and it backfired. Um, Mm. And that scene where... Charlene's really goading her and going, you don't like me, do you? You really don't like me. You know, come on, you can tell me, you can tell me. And so Madge does actually lay it down on her and is really honest with her. Um, And you kind of see sort of like uh, that Madge is so wounded by it. But then also for all of Charlene's bravado, and this is why I think Kylie's so brilliant in it, Mm. she doesn't say a word during that speech from Madge, but you see it in her eyes, that, yeah. Yeah. that pain that it actually caused. And I went, oh my goodness, the, the, we, we've now getting these fantastic characters, these relationships that are messy, and that's what we're really interested in, you know? Yeah, mm, absolutely. It's 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 leaving behind the big caricatures, because I think before it felt a bit like, uh, you know, I guess like, 
like people think a parody of a soap is yeah uh, until now like you know everyone's getting engaged after five seconds and you know like oh we met yesterday we're in love we are getting married um and it, it all felt a little bit wooden like that in that way and you're totally right now we're focusing on the things that neighbors does best yeah. which is these moments these family dynamics these interactions this day-to-day life that you get involved with and the big stuff is fun um but like if a soap it's all big stuff it does lose its impact yeah and this is you know, this is the the minutiae that like you say this is this is what we're here for That's i've it. heard that um she's like 3d um technicolor dolby stereo showing mm. when she comes in yeah. you know because she's um it's, firecracker is a great description she's a she's a fantastic actress and uh particularly mm. in this role is this sort of very damaged young teen because they, she reveals everything about the family history and there's bits we know and there's bits that we don't necessarily know um, until that point. Um, yeah. But it's it's coming from such a place of pain, like there's proper, um, as a character, um, and obviously, you know, the society we live in now, we all know many people who've grown up in um, homes where their parents have separated and there's been bitterness and, you know, in this case, the dad's run off with someone and she's stayed and she's obviously faking that everything was perfect with um, Fred and Susan. Um, but, oh, Susan, that's a, um, a name that should only be used for good. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like, you know, that she had a wonderful time uh, with them, but also, you know, how hurt she's about being separated from her brother and even if her brother's sort of, an, like, you know, done bad things. He's still family should come first. That she's just begging for the love, isn't she? She's just yeah, begging for completely. one of her parents to say, "I love you. I'm gonna prioritize you. I'm gonna listen to you. I'm gonna let you. Um, I'm gonna put you first. And she clearly hasn't ever felt that level of security because there's that mm. broken, you know, hurt, like um, you know, uh, um, an open wound in her. And to make that come through while you're still being funny and you're still being, you know warm and and perky and teenage i think is phenomenal absolutely um i I know two fun facts about charlene's entry as well Um, so first of all uh when they were auditioning for the role it got down to a final two one is obviously kylie do you know who the second one was who is it it was annie jones oh i did know that i had forgotten i didn't know that I've heard her mention that. Okay. But good, uh, yeah. Uh, and then the other one is when um, they brought Charlene in, um, Reg Watson, the creator of Neighbours, had had her in mind for a long time. Um, but they only brought Kylie in to be there for one week of episodes and then really quickly extended that to 30. <laughs> Um, and I think that the story where she ends up moving in with the Robinsons, I yes. reckon that potentially originally that would have been her going back home. Uh, and they went, oh, hang on, we can, we need to adjust this. Let's do this. Because I also think it's really telling that she then doesn't appear in the last few episodes at all uh, of this block. And that's probably her going, we need to write her into some more. Yeah. Um, when, uh, um... Sorry, go and on. it's after that 13 weeks that then they went, yeah, she's becoming a regular. <laughs> <laughs> that that moment of um, the fact that she's going to move in with Nikki, I just felt for them, you know, teenage girls who instantly hate each other, being told they're going to have to share a room. I felt the pain. 
Yeah, although yeah, neighbors has that pattern, doesn't it, of of moving people into other people's houses and rooms without asking them. Yeah, just so absolutely, it's the typical asked. teenage uh, yeah. angst there. But I have to say, I did laugh out loud when Helen told Nikki her good news because <laughs> I'm sorry, Nikki just frustrates me so much I'm just like oh I literally wrote down so like oh the guardian of doom has arrived (laughs) (laughs) she's she's very unlikable at the moment particularly in her pushiness with Mike and somehow seeing this as like but this is teenagers isn't it and you know suddenly thinking this relationship is like a relationship nothing's happened to make them her think you know that this is Romeo and Juliet she's building this up from kind of a few little cute moments to some major possessive. But then again, that's what the adults are like as well, the possessiveness. Well, it's exactly that. Like there's one episode that ends with her going, you know, um, uh, I just want you to know I'm your friend, kisses him on the cheek and he mm-hmm. kisses her on the lips. And, you know, you're like Mike Young just kissed you, Nikki. And what does she do? She scowls and walks off. <laughs> that is not the reaction, you know. No, it is None not. None of that us guy pierced, Nikki. Yeah. No. And then later she goes, go, "Oh, but we're together." And it's like, when have you shown him that? Yeah. Um, <laughs> or like, let there be some kind of conversation about it. Like, just briefly mention it. Yeah. Maybe go to the cinema or something. Like, do so- there's nothing, nothing that. Um, but that thing when um, she sort of follows him out of the Robinsons and kind of to try and have her moment on the doorstep with him, and then the smugness on her face when she turns around and looks at Charlene, like I've got my man, like Jolene, stay away. Um, yeah. But you just know. <laughs> That honestly, Charlene could, you know, flick that switch in a second, couldn't she? Exactly. Charlene, 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 Charlene. Okay, I'll stop now. Um, but uh, yes, um, absolutely. And we find out via Charlene why Henry's in jail. We didn't mm. know that before. That that um, I mean, Madge's side of the story is also quite reasonable. Like it just sounds like a really fraught situation. It's really poignant um, that yeah. she Madge. I mean, I'm sure Madge has been an incredibly annoying parent um i speak as one but um it sounds like she just never had any support that uh, yeah. fred was playing away she was left kind of eking there's a lot of talk of the housekeeping money in neighbors in general so she was paying for um you know to keep henry out of prison out of her housekeeping and she ends up with no money and um other people and their housekeeping i'm sure that will come up later but it sounds like she just needed someone to say you know this is very difficult. Let me help you, with the son. And she she wasn't getting it from anywhere. Max has clearly been watching Doctor Phil or whatever was the equivalent in 1986 because he's busy trying to knit the family back together and have meetings around the table and talk about feelings. So what has he been reading? Yeah, I I really enjoy Max in these episodes. <laughs> in fact, well, I really enjoy the Ramsey family here. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. they're they're written in such a believable way of sort of like the bickering, the the fun they have with each other. Like everyone's reaction to Max doing that is just hilarious. And then also sort of like when it, um when Danny's wanting to learn golf and Max is like, oh, it's all right, I can do it. And everyone <laughs> runs for cover and so on. And there's, I think the best moment is when Madge and Max are 
absolutely going for it in terms of arguing about her furniture and they're yeah. outside in the street having this Barney and then the taxi drives up with Eileen and they instantly switch to this oh look what's going on here oh <laughs> let's inspire together about this fun gossip and I just yeah. thought it's such a brilliant portrayal of a family here yeah. you know mm. messy it's um uh it's uh full of bickering and arguing but there's also a lot of humor a lot of love and he's so he's so kind to uh to Madge uh at this troubles like he uh, and also Charlene as well like he he shows a lot of compassion here yeah yeah I think it's yeah. like, he's like he goes all girls just want to have fun doesn't he yeah. <laughs> he really suddenly max the feminist <laughs> yeah I, I think um, he, he he does. And I think it's like um, real siblings, you know, that you'll squabble with each other. But if there's something else that another factor that comes in, another you're, you're each other's teammate and um, he'll fight with her about everything that's petty. He'll argue with her. But when it comes to something proper, then, um, you know, he gets it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Speaking of family, um, a little sidebar on the storyline. There's a very weird moment where um, Danny takes Charlene out and they're fretting over them being out late. And Max says, don't worry, Danny's a perfect gentleman. Was, Are they not first cousins? Not first cousins. <laughs> and also, but I guess Danny's, technically they're not related. Danny's drunk behaviour when he comes back Uh was just like, what are we watching here? He's like, he's, he looked like something out of Bill and Ted's Adventure. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then sort of like, he literally is like drunk acting to the max. <laughs> <laughs> we love it. Um, do we have anything else to say about the Ramses for now? I, one thing I did think is what we're seeing is the be- um, the beginnings of the origins of the teen gang. Yeah. Uh, here, yeah. when we see um, those things, and I think this is sort of the subtle sort of like now that Neighbours has been on air for a little bit, we're now kind of going, oh, we need to keep these young characters at the fore and start mm. developing them a bit more. Um, mm. uh, and I thought it, it because that's something that then runs through Neighbours all the way through, and I was like, yeah. here we are looking at the creation of that teen gang, which is amazing. Yeah, great point. Um, yeah, I, I just thought it was amazing. They found her a school place to start immediately without discussing it with anyone. The idea that she would go to school and Madge would then come at nine o'clock and enrol her. Is that how it works in Australia? Do you just turn up at a school and you're in the school? Oh, yeah, I've got something about that, about Madge just being like the ultimate ninja in that sort of like <laughs> the kids have arrived back late. So it's like clearly sort of like not many hours to go till breakfast but somehow she's managed to enroll Charlene get her a school uniform talk to this person it's like mm-hmm. what can she what else can she achieve in these hours you know well, get up <laughs> early enough you know knit you Jim a sweater unravel it I loved, um, <laughs> there's nothing she can't do I love Charlene's comment um to, that her only real question was will Mike also be going um as well as Scott because you know if I have to go I might as well be surrounded by men <laughs> little boys bless her yep yep uh relatable content yeah. uh we we love Charlene I, th- <laughs> I think she might be a winner um 
moving on to Daphne, Shane, and the oh. the cafe debacle. Yeah. Um, so Daphne receives notice that her leases um is coming to an end. That she's being turfed out of the building. Um, I'm confused about how this works because I thought that Harry bought the cafe the cafe or won the cafe or i'm, I'm very confused but uh, as to how she she can be kicked out but apparently she can mm-hmm. um and shane is delighted because mm. that means she can spend more time adoring him and uh cooking him meals and less time on herself and that's what he wants for her because he is terrible he's like, yeah, he's like, a that's one of those moments where he says like whether you're gonna work or not after the oh, wedding <laughs> Oh, Has he met Daphne? Um, it churns yeah. my stomach. And also I thought, like, at the beginning um, of this group of episodes, um, there was sort of a lovey-doveyness between them. I wrote down, mm-hmm. Daphne's got Stockholm Syndrome now with Shane. Um, <laughs> but the, every so often he does his jealous psychopath act. And I'm amazed with Daphne sticking with him this long, to be honest. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, it doesn't make a lot of sense, especially. And his attitudes are so weird. I find it just interesting because I, you know, um, I, I was alive at the time. I was a young teenager watching this, and they, and I don't really remember um, this kind of aggression about women working around then. Obviously, I didn't live in Australia, so maybe that was a thing. But it's it's there's some. It's not just like an assumption. There's quite a lot of aggression. It feels to me. Shane is such a baby he's just such a whiny baby like he just storms around he has this very whiny tone he's like Daphne wants to work after the wedding like that's all I hear when he talks it's like there's like um I can't actually hear what he's saying it's it's like um like I said the most annoying episode of Pingu um and he he does not like her talking to any man at all ever he he's jealous of Des He's jealous of Clive. He even, even curses Jim. out her talking to her grandfather. And even Jim, like the point when he yeah. comes in uh, and he sees the two of them talking, he's like, what are you doing? Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, he, he genuinely cannot yeah. stand her talking to anyone. No, no. And it's, it's no. quite scary. Yeah. Yeah. It feels, it feels prelude to abusey like it's red flaggy mm. if if i was dating a guy and he behaved like that i would be thinking uh is this someone i want to commit my life to <laughs> yeah so i think with daphne she's like everybody's therapist the rest of the time her and helen um are everybody's therapists um at least one of them i would say probably should be reported to the uh therapist council but um she like she it What's that thing in um, Science of the Lambs about, um, you know, you can't turn that laser focus on yourself. And I feel yeah. like that's very strong with Daphne. You know, she has this whole conversation with Zoe about her parents, you know, that she was always trying to prove herself to her parents and she never felt she was good enough. And is that why she's trying so hard to, um, you know, do these various things now and be with someone who's like a, a father figure or whatever. So she could do all that, but she can't see herself trapped in a marriage of, um, or a potential marriage with someone who, she doesn't really love and who doesn't really love her because he's just an obsessive. Yeah. There's yeah. There's that moment where sort of like they're having that argument and her reaction is say, let's get married in two weeks, uh, kind of thing. Um, and uh, uh, and the camera does that slow zoom in on her eyes where she's mm. going, this is the worst decision in the world, but I just said it. <laughs> yeah. 
Mm. Yeah, she sort of dissociates in that moment. Mm. Um, it's horrible, but she wants to save her cafe, yeah. um, regardless of Shane's behavior. And there's a brilliant moment where Clive is like, hold on, hold on. I've got an amazing idea that no one's ever thought of. <laughs> Have you thought of getting some customers? And she's like, brilliant oh my god i never i never thought of like there being a correlation between a business doing well and there being customers you're a genius clive <laughs> oh it's amazing he found time when he was busy doing the, the crane or the stalk or whatever he was doing with his what was he doing tai chi um <laughs> yeah it was it was quite oh the yeah position. his meditation meditation, where he, meditation like a yeah. buddha <laughs> yeah but yeah um and also, when um, once they decide on this idea that the way to win in customers is a pancake competition where everyone gets a ticket and then fills it in and then puts their name in a hat and then two people are going to cook pancakes. I'm not sure why that's a thing that would bring people into a cafe yeah. to watch two people cook pancakes and then one person will be a better pancaker. It's not really <laughs> but when um, Clive goes around telling people about it he does it like he's some sort of pound shop radio DJ and I found it really <laughs> funny yeah you don't go to a cafe to cook your own breakfast and another thing stop calling it a bake-off you fry a pancake i will die on this hill i was bloody livid oh the great pancake bake-off you don't know what you're doing lady your cafe deserves to fail you are putting your pancakes in the oven you're doing it all wrong and also zoe's wearing such a massive hair bow she should not be that near to any of the ovens um you know it's definitely a fire hazard yeah. It's, the, it's the 80s, they're all very flammable There's a lot of hairspray um, I'd actually forgotten that At this point, Daphne's coffee shop Is not in Lassiter's um, Particularly as mm. At one point you saw a shot of Someone walking out of what we know to be The coffee shop with milkshakes and so on um, uh, Within it And it was only when we saw the outside shot Of Daphne's as it is now That I went, oh yeah, it's not there, is it? Um, which <laughs> put this a little bit more in context for me. I do have very vivid memories of the pancake competition from watching it originally, actually. And uh, when they started mentioning it, I was, I was praying for it to end up in this block because I remember <laughs> something key about it. I was like, please let us discuss this, but it's not. So you have that treat to come next time. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm very excited. It. I'm worried they're going to put it in the oven. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I am. I am concerned that nobody knows how to make a pancake. But um, yeah, ho hopefully it won't come to that. But I, I, I'm surprised the competition's going ahead because um, Zoe discovers that it is Paul's company that's turfing out Daphne, and then she has this dilemma as to whether to tell Daphne and lose her job or keep quiet and betray her friend. And in the end, yeah. she ends up. Um, she 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 decides to leave her job and tell Daphne, but Paul gets in there first and she gets in trouble anyway. So poor Zoe can't win. Poor Zoe. I enjoyed her hinting to Jim. Um, I've got a friend, I've got a situation. <laughs> and then he's like, why don't you just tell it to me properly and I'll see if I can help you or not. Um, yeah. Uh, what was it in Blackadder? I've got a manservant. We'll just plop your manservant out on the table. We'll have a look at it. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Um, this is another sort of like everything here, all everything that all the stories seem to revolve around sort of like real, like domesticated human things. It's just as you described there, so right, it is this sort of moral dilemma of is it business or friendship that wins out, uh, and so on. Um, and sort of like these 
stories of friendship, loyalty, greed, and so on. And I think sort of like, it's almost like Shakespearean in terms of we're constructing these stories out of just real human emotions. And that's what's making these characters fleshed out now. We are getting sort of like more moral dilemmas about uh, what they face uh, and so on. And that kind of gray areas. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we are, we're also getting the, like you say Shakespearean, we're getting these very solid origins and building blocks of the Paul Robinson that we're going to know in years to come. You know, Jim, Jim saying like, I want you to have a look at who you're becoming. Yeah. Um, you know, he's going to repeat that in bauble form in many years. Like that, that's <laughs> yeah, true. That's going to be a thing. Mm, completely true. Yeah, and and there was also like Paul um, gaslighting Zoe that the problem wasn't what he was doing. The problem was that she shouldn't have looked in the file before putting it away. But it looked like she was just looking what the title was to put it in the thing, and she came across everything by accident. I feel very sad for her in this situation because she's mm. she's a victim, and mm. she's been yes. she's been tarred with the brush. Also, just in passing, Paul's become much nicer since he moved out. Apart from this, this is a business thing, and he does backtrack on it and change it. So I think maybe the Robinson household is very toxic, and as soon as you move elsewhere, you start being, you know, more three-dimensional. Yeah. Yeah. Julie might be lovely now. Like he, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> um, he gives Helen all his contacts, you know, to start calling people for home, James. Everything's yeah. coming up roses. Mm. Is there anything else you want to say about uh, about the cafe and Daphne and Shane and uh, and all that jazz? No. Oh, Jim and Paul's confrontation I thought was really weird in the restaurant. Um, I liked it when um, you know um, Jim and Zoe had gone out for dinner, and then Helen was speaking to Des and finds out that Andrea's gone out with Paul, and it was such a like you know we have this expression in performance show don't tell like let uh, the audience work out but instead um uh, she says where's that where, where, helen says there's lassiters but that's where andrea and paul have gone like as if we've all forgotten like, it was a <laughs> but um jim has this confrontation with paul like muttered by the door it was really sinister like i don't like arguments in public especially when the family's concerned i'll be waiting for you at home tonight i want to talk to you and then he says <laughs> Paul, the sight of what you're becoming should be enough to scare you to yes. death. Mm. What a statement! Yeah, yeah. It's a, Jim, Jim's a little, Jim's a little bit of a drama queen, but he's not wrong because Paul does turn out to be, to be a um, Paul. Yeah, <laughs> so, that is true. So it sounds dramatic now, in in but you know, in mm. in the context of what we that he later, but you know strangles a man to death with his bare hands and leaves him to die in a fire um yeah i i i i'm i might be team jim on this one <laughs> okay fair we have one last storyline to cover unless i've completely blanked on something um and that is des andrea and bradley yeah yeah mm. so things are going surprisingly well to start with um bradley is becoming a quite quite a good kid um with des's influence mm -hmm. um he's got a bit of discipline he he likes des he does what des says um they're bonding mm. even andrea's being nicer to everyone including zoe and i'm finding myself starting to think i i hope bradley is his son 
Um, I, th- I think that would actually be quite nice. Yeah, um, they definitely do quite a lot of softening in the first run of these episodes, don't they? And, uh, yeah, and being nice to Zoe. Quite a harmonious uh, aspect. And as you say, Andrea comforts Zoe at times uh, as well. Yeah. Yeah, the hostility is certainly ebbing away. Des even gives her money to get a dress for her date with Paul. And I think, like, if they actually were Bradley's parents, they could live together quite amicably with this yeah. arrangement. It, it yeah. could be quite nice. Um, unfortunately, um, <laughs> Des is not Bradley's uh, biological father, um, despite the foolproof uh, DNA testing of um, Bradley uh, indicating his ears. Yes, Bradley has ears. But, um... <laughs> the most amazing bit, <laughs> way they introduced this bit of it. I just went, this is one of those things that only soap operas can do. And, uh, you know, we start a new segment with Zoe saying to Andrea over breakfast, oh, one thing I've always meant to ask you is, how did you see me? How did this happen? And I was like, sure, that thing, you know, you you haven't asked about for all this time, but you're just going to bring it up today when we need to learn a bit more information, sure. (laughs) Yeah, it's... uh, I mean, like the scripts are a fast turnaround. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll give them the clunky exposition, um, and also I'll take it if it means we get Eileen. Yes, because Eileen is always incredible value, oh. and uh, yes. So Eileen shows up, and then what happens? Oh, it's Eileen is just brilliant. It's sort of like her <laughs> coming and just you know killing Andrea with kindness, pure <laughs> there, just saying, ah, oh, yes. I'm going to be totally calm because I hold all the cards here and then slowly unraveling with it. Uh, yeah. um, I, the two moments that I absolutely adored with Eileen is the running joke of her ignoring everyone calling her grandma. And yeah. particularly <laughs> when Max has done it a few times, she's moved away, sat somewhere else in the coffee shop. And as soon as he's finished, he goes and plonks himself down and goes, so come on then. <laughs> How's life? And the look on her face is just brilliant. And the other one is when she says to Daphne, of all the women he almost married, you were the best. You're the best. Yeah, that was amazing. (laughs) And it's also, she's so gleeful. I mean, as an... You know, as an actor, we've said this over and over, as an actress, she's amazing. And I love it when she gets to interact with Max, um, because I think if they would have ended up with some kind of couple, um, that would have been... Not necessarily a romantic couple, but living together or whatever, because their dynamic is, they're such good comic actors. You know, they've got comedy in their eyelashes. Amazing. Every, every atom of their beings. Um, And they milk the nuance um, with their body language of anything that's given to them. Yeah. Mm, absolutely and I, I, I yeah you're totally right they are they are the two strongest comedic <coughs> actors on the show they're complete naturals and I love how you know even when Eileen sort of when she's in busybody mode and she's not reading that people are trying to get away from her she sort of like hunches over and scuttles after people <laughs> like she's so 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 good Eric she you you are your eyes are trained on her in every scene yeah um but um I was sad the uh, like this this scene because I feel so sorry for Bradley. He's clearly had a really unstable upbringing, mm. and he likes being with Des. Mm. And Des is probably the first adult who's given him that time and attention and discipline and everything that he needs. Um, and when he when he shouted, "You are my dad! You are!" I just I, I, that actually really 
broke my heart a bit because I mm. thought he the, that kid, it's not it's not an act it's not manipulation he yeah. really wishes it was true yeah yeah it, it, that is a becoming a really difficult storyline to watch I think that um, yeah also like the sort of pride of when Des admits to Lucy that he's his dad you can just mm. see his, um, and later when he says I, I want Des to be my I prefer Des to be my father um, yeah it's quite heartbreaking Mm. Yeah. So we leave the block of episodes on the cliffhanger that what Des is, is not in the bag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what she got? What could it possibly be? Um, oh, sorry, as you think, Eileen, you you've made such a big thing about this bag, and that and yet you just left it on the side, <laughs> unattended. Come on now. <laughs> that was a double bluff because you had to make it not look important. <laughs> Uh, yeah, she's uh, she's she's playing three D chess there. I think Eileen at all times. She yeah. she's always. I mean, gone is the Eileen who phoned in a bomb threat on Daphne. Yeah. This is a this is a new Machiavellian Eileen, and I'm here for her. But Completely. I I feel for Des and Bradley, neither of whom deserve this. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, and I do I do love the dynamic between Des and Bradley, and Bradley and Lucy. And uh, yeah. I have a horrible feeling that Bradley is now being written out in some way um i don't know that because i don't i've mm. never this, this is my first watch through but i will be very sad if that's the case i want i want des to adopt him anyway i mean that would be in keeping with the vibe of the show you look at toady yeah. and whatever Willow. i mean i feel yeah. there was um two cliffhangers really because also zoe and paul it looked like they yeah. were having a little moment when she was dabbing his mouth and they made eye contact Oh yeah, Shane punched Paul. <laughs> yeah, Shane punched Paul. But really, I said like there's a lot of punching. Like you could, we we haven't got that hours to spend on everyone who hit everyone in these ten episodes. But um, yeah, they so there were these two things. There was like the pausing, the camera paused obviously on Eileen's hands in the bag. But just before that, there was the eye contact, and we all yeah. know that smizing and eye contact that's powerful stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, they'll be married within the week. <laughs> There's a storyline we haven't discussed, actually, which is about Mike and his parents stopping yeah. paying his yes. bills. And it turns out it's just his mum paying them. And we've talked often about how sometimes it seems like there's someone sponsored the episodes because they'll mention something over and over again. And there's this very bizarre dynamic um, where it's as if the government has put in a sponsorship for <laughs> benefits for teenagers because yes. the way it's explained is exactly like it would be explained on an information video, you know, like um, that's been put out for people. If you don't understand your benefits, let me explain it to you clearly um, because everyone who talks about it does it in that voice. So, uh, yeah, um, it turns out... Now, before you feel like a moocher, like, yeah, don't worry, because your contribution will actually... Yeah, it, was, it was a lot like that. Like, and Clive is the perfect character to be a conduit for that, because he always sounds like an infomercial. Right, so and then him and Nikki together, they're like, but this, all you have to... Uh, it, you know, it was... I don't know if you've ever been to the Ideal Home show, but they all sound like that when they demonstrate things. It's like there's a technique to it, and I, I enjoy watching it. But, um, yeah, it's, it's another sad storyline, really, about how it turns out that um, money's been coming in from his family to um, Daphne and Clive to help fund his rent and food and whatever, and it suddenly stopped. But it turned out, again, that it was coming from his mum's housekeeping in secret. And as soon as uh, 
you know, it was revealed that uh, there was a question about the money. Um, his dad said, absolutely we're not, we're not paying any more money. And then he goes to try and resolve it. And uh, he gets like a knockback from his mum, who's clearly team dad, despite how violent his dad is. And it's a, re- that is a, that's a deep storyline. That's yeah. not a frivolous, mm. a frivolous thing, you know, and that is a thing that happens to young people. It happens to young people now. Um, so even though they sort of make these sort of side amusing side things about it in terms of his relationship with the other kids that's you know him and Charlene are both characters who I feel are written with a lot of depth and um yeah. a lot of trauma yeah absolutely and I, th- I think I think that's what makes it so engaging now and mm-hmm. uh and interesting yeah, we have that, yeah. and we have this weird thing of him and Lenny both trying to get jobs, and it felt like that was ninety eight percent designed because someone thought it'd be funny to have her trying to uh, get changed in the bushes and the teacher got yeah, that terrible carry on music going on. Yeah, <laughs> um, and then she does this weird confrontation of the guy who hadn't seen Mike for the interview, um, yeah. which was very over the top. So sometimes I think you know. You don't have to fill every 20 minutes. <laughs> you know, sometimes you could just let a story go. But uh, yeah, it was sad, the idea that he wants to give up his dream of being a teacher and just get an ordinary job because he doesn't want to bludge off everyone. But I'm glad he does come round with Clive's help. And the other yeah. thing I noticed actually was that interesting, whenever they're in the kitchen at Daphne's, the director frames the shot in the same way. There's always three people eventually in it. Like mm. it starts with one person, then the second, then the third person comes in. That's every mm. time you're in that kitchen throughout, up till now, um, every episode that that kitchen's been part of the show. And it's the same, um, it's literally the same framing of where everyone <laughs> positions themselves. Um, but I'm glad that uh, he was talked around and he's going to take this money. He's going to stay on at school because that all leads us to, to you know, the final episodes that we've just seen a few months ago, you know, in his career, yeah. his trajectory. Damien, what did you think about, because um, we, we were saying before that, because I'd never seen Clive and Mike's relationship. Yeah. And I was a bit sad that it ended with them scrapping in the street. I know, given... I know, I know what you mean. It's, it's like Clive is quite different uh, mm. when he comes back for his later stint. Uh, yeah. And, and in one sense, I think that's fine because, you know, sort of like people do grow on and uh, mature and whatever. But I think it would have been nice to know a bit more about his intervening years, like yeah. what mm. shaped him, what made him become like that uh, and so on. Um, and in one sense, you know, that that scene in particular, I, um, you know, I liked the homage to uh, to the past. And I liked that sort of like all of those characters got to have some scenes together uniting them um but yeah I think sort of there is a bit of a poignancy going on how their relationship is now at this point and in in fact sort of I I kind of thought that if there were two themes that unite every story in this block it is um parents and their relationships with their children yeah Mm -hmm. and also what it means to face up to your responsibilities because that line comes in to almost everything. And Mike's story kind of combined both of them. Um, Mm. But you see this family uh, relationships come into so many stories in this, uh, in this block. Um, And I just think sort of like that's, it's really interesting 
for the show to be tackling that in so many varied ways. And there were some times that we kind of saw it um, directly one scene after another, we got a contrast of relationships going on. And the people who seemed to parent best were actually uh, Daphne and Clive. Uh, yes. in that uh, in that wonderful scene where they do convince uh, Mike by pretty much like because Daphne does a similar thing to Madge of she does some hard truths uh, and does it but then they kind of reason with him and they talk but look at the consequences look at this kind of thing mm-hmm. and that kind of helps him come to a decision as opposed mm-hmm. to sort of like the more relationships where it's just like do this don't do that or whatever yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. I kind of found that fascinating to look across all of those relationships. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, gosh, um, very insightful. Yeah, thank you. Um, and also backs up my theory that uh, Daphne and Clive are perfect for each other and should have been a thing. Yeah, good old dive. Um, yeah, classy. So, We've... do we have anything left to say about uh, Des, Andrea, and Bradley before we move on to booting somebody out? Um, I've got a few things, not just particularly about them. I've got uh, my regular things that I notice <laughs> that we've not really discussed, and um, I'm just trying to see if I can find them in order. Um, well, first of all, is Lasseter's is becoming such a big deal, um, yeah. but Jack Lasseter's a character. He's he's some kind of. Um, he reminds me of, I'm trying to remember what it's called. There was an old TV show um, based on a ranch. It wasn't Dallas, but oh, I'll have to try and remember and we'll put it somewhere in something. But he's he he, he is such a cowboy, um, not as in someone who rips people off, but his vibe. Yeah. His vibe is Outback Cowboy, and I'm here for that. Um, but also, I was thinking how his name's Jack. So we've got Jack Lassiter, whose um, property is going to become like a major, major element of the show. And it was also Jack Ramsey, who um, was who, oh, yeah. that's who named Ramsey's name. So the character Jack is very powerful um, in the law of of neighbors that was my first thing and also like you start mm. to see the development of that complex um into how it how it becomes you know over time that's nice he's um i like he had an expression i charge like wounded bulls i thought that was a good expression <laughs> um we had a very biblical moment with lucy and jim after he's chucked paul out where she doesn't want breakfast because she's sneakily eaten her easter eggs and um he says lucy if you've got chocolate around your mouth that's why you're not hungry and she replies what are you going to do hit me as well which is very much like the story of moses if anyone's really into the old <laughs> testament where you know he thinks he's done the right thing by getting rid of the slave master and then someone else is, and so then he goes to help someone and be like what are you do kill me as well like you did that other guy so yeah biblical moment i thought um that resonated with me um the first mention of grease monkey because they describe charlene as grease monkeys and obviously later that becomes yeah. the burger bar uh, opposite the garage uh, which is what we call it where i'm from uh, Scott leaves an apple core on the counter for Helen to clean up. That really annoys me um, <laughs> when they come to pick him up for school or Nikki's trying to get them out before before Charlene gets her claws into everybody. And he literally jumps off the counter and puts the apple core down on the counter. That would have been annoying. But I felt less bad about it when then Madge goes to help uh, Helen uh, trim beans, for, presumably for dinner. And she doesn't put a single one in the bowl. She's just snapping the ends off and putting them all back down in front of her. That's not a normal thing to do. You're trimming the beans, put the ones you've done in the bowl. That was annoying. 
Um, <laughs> Mike uses the word claustro to describe how he was feeling. And my husband pointed out, because he was watching it with me, that I use that expression as well. So that was nice. Um, I like Helen's got her art apron that has got paint smeared all over it to make sure you know it's an art apron. Because as you all know, adults who are artists, they often wear a smock that's got paint <laughs> literally painted on with a brush at all kinds of cool angles. So you know how much of an artist they are. Um, <laughs> Two, uh, two last things I think here we've got um, one is uh, Andrea and Bradley and Des come back from taking him to Speedway and uh, she brings in a full picnic basket so they've got out for the day clearly uh, the theory is that they've had taken a picnic with them the basket is completely full um, so they've eaten nothing that bothered me as a Jewish mother um, but later <laughs> in the cafe um, Daphne presents people with salad a la Daphne and I'm desperate to know what the ingredients are. Yeah. Mm, there we go. Um, um, if you are on social media, um, please um, do comment in our private Facebook group. What do you think is in a salad a la Daphne? <laughs> um, I've got a couple of random things as well. Oh, of, good. Um, I do think that hotel um, becoming more of a feature is um, really interesting. And uh, Mavers inherited a set. Um, that's how Lassiter's came to be. Um, so there was another program being made in the studio at the beginning when Channel 10 started doing it um, and it finished and that was what the hotel front and the pool and the bridge were for and so neighbours yeah. basically picked that up and went oh we'll use that um, no way. Uh, there's uh, the moment that I thought sort of like um, you could be watching this and apart from some of the dodgy opinions or references in it, go sort of like, oh, in one sense, this could be any time, any date. And then I saw a prop that went, ah, this is the key moment that dates it. <laughs> and it's in the office where Zoe has a typewriter in front of her. And you go, <laughs> wow, that is old. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, and she's, but she's a very good secretary, as Paul says himself. Exactly. Um, and then there's a, a couple of moments in it where a character arrives at someone else's house, like Jim goes to see Zoe, I think Madge goes to see Helen, um, and they arrive and the host says, um, should we have coffee? Do you want a drink or something? And the guest goes and fills the kettle and starts making it. And it's like, <laughs> is this a thing? It's like, just do that. <laughs> Um, but the thing that gave me a lot of joy when I saw it uh, about appearing on the podcast and made me think of you two in particular was one scene uh, where I wrote two things in very quick succession, which were the Coco Pops are back with oh, Zoe. Yes! <laughs> and then at the end of that scene, I went, oh, my goodness, I think Des just made his own food. Yes, he said, and he went to help. He offered to help. He said, "Do you yeah. go and make it?" And then he went to help. Something's happened. Something's in the water. What's going on? I know, right? Oh my goodness, oh, Damon, I'm super it, proud. It really is the despocalypse. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is wonderful. Okay. Ah, oh, so <clears throat> who are we kicking out of Erinsborough at the end of this block of episodes? Damien, would you like to go first and do the honors? Well, I kind of have two. Um, I think one just general uh, is Nikki, because <laughs> every time she appeared, I was just like, oh, not you. 
Um, <laughs> uh, she doesn't do anything in particular, apart from the one thing that I thought was really outrageous is like literally 10 seconds after Paul's moved out, she packs all his things up in a cardboard box and also t- essentially tells Lucy and Scott, it's like, stop whining about this. He's made his decision. You've got to move on. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, you're being quite out there here. Um, but it's been I, five minutes. Get over it. Yeah, exactly. Go over um, and just get married to someone. That will sort everything out. <laughs> you know, maybe that boyfriend of yours who you just scowl anytime he comes near you. Maybe that one. <laughs> um, but I think uh, my main one would probably be Shane. He redeems himself in every scene with the Ramsey household um, because he's quite fun in those scenes, um, but destroys it in any scene with Daphne. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. Rachel? Yeah, I'm I'm Shane as well, definitely. And um he is good in the in the Ramsey house. I don't think he's the best. Um, but I just think the horrible element with Daphne is just so grim. And yeah, uh Shane has to go. But there's also, I just want to say a mitigating point, which is I think when people are with someone and they know in their heart of hearts that person doesn't want to be with them that can often cause jealousy. Yeah. But his behaviour is not excusable. It is maybe understandable. No. So let's get rid yeah. of him. He can start a new life running home James in another city. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get rid of Eileen's handbag because I don't <laughs> like what's in it. <laughs> I don't like what it's going to do to poor Des. Get rid of the handbag. Just burn it. <laughs> burn it all down. Well, Damien, it's been wonderful having you as a guest. Thank you so, so much. Um it, Join in the conversation at home. Um, if you liked what you heard, didn't like what you heard, want to tell us off, want to join in, want to uh, point something out that we missed, um, we have a private Facebook group. Uh, search Leaving Erinsborough and request to join. You just have to agree to the group's rules. I'm not sure what's going to happen with our Twitter account because as of the day of recording, the fragile billionaire has decreed that cisgender is now considered a slur um, and a bannable offence. So oh. on my personal Twitter, which unfortunately, as my primary means of promoting my work um i am going to be taking a step back from that and moving to other platforms um so we'll have to think about twitter but for the moment it's at leaving errands and if we land up somewhere else it's just hard to know where everyone else is congregating really because it, every week it seems like one week it was post and the next week it was mastered and now it's blue sky and i don't know where everyone's going to be but um wherever it is we will find a digital home together um away from all the transphobia so uh that that hopefully will be happening soon excellent damon have you got anything you'd like to promote to everyone who's listening a new project coming up or more neighbors stuff well you never know what's round the corner uh you know the the neighbors fandom is pretty huge um and you know um uh i think uh sort of the tour did a lot of things so who knows what may come again um uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it's always lovely to hear from other neighbors fans um uh, and so on and share in the joy um i am on the socials as at munchkin demo fabulous I, I, i'll make sure that i'm following you everywhere <laughs> Where did the name come um, from? 
Yeah, good question. <laughs> well, it is, you know, in no way at all a reference to my height at all. Oh. Um, and, <laughs> Uh, which has led to sort of uh, my nieces and nephews um, who have all become giants mysteriously. Um, But uh, very quickly they cottoned on to this name. And so from about the age of five, they would arrive and have to go, where's the munchkin? Where's the munchkin? Well, that's adorable. (laughs) And on that lovely note, uh, Damien, thank you so much. You've been a fantastic guest. We've loved talking to you and I'm sure everybody's loved listening. And uh, we will see everybody next time for the next block of episodes. Uh, I'm excited for this pancake uh, (laughs) bake-off. Egregious (laughs) offence. Bye. Bye. Leaving Erinsborough was hosted by Sarah Gibbs and Rachel Krieger. Our guest today was Damien Sands. This episode was edited by John Gibbs. Our logo is by Hayley Charlesworth. Our theme song was mixed by Graham Rawson. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review wherever you get podcasts. Join us next time when we'll be covering episodes 241 to 250.